Blue Wire. Osweiler in trouble. Osweiler brought down Khalil Mack. Oh, here comes Bullshot. Griffin without a helmet. J.J. Watt will always put his fingerprints on a game. Steps up, and he's going to be hit from the side, and he's going down. That's a sack. Darius Leonard, the maniac. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne. You can follow me on Twitter at BrandonThorneNFL. And this week, I'm doing something that I haven't done before. I have actually two different interviews. One of them is with Bucks center Ryan Jensen, and we actually just talked about their performance last week in week four against the Rams. They went on the road across the country and played a really, really nice game for, in terms of their offensive line, specifically their interior. I think that they've been playing well all year. I highlighted them after week one, and they've just sort of continued that um, you know, higher level of play this season with Alex Kappa there at right guard. Ryan Jensen at center, and then Ali Marpet at left guard. Um, But if you watch them against the Rams, they had a great game plan going in, both offensive and defensively. But it was really cool to get a little bit of insight from Jensen um, in terms of how they were able to stop Donald and uh, to to a large degree, uh, more than most teams do. And uh, they they were able to run the ball a little bit. They had a couple really long runs called back. uh, But just generally, I I thought that they played really well as a unit, uh, specifically that interior. So it was really cool to get him in and uh, talk about that. And also their upcoming game against the Saints, who are coming off an impressive game defensively against the Cowboys. And then the other interview I have is with uh, three-time Super Bowl champ Mark Schlereth, who played left guard for the Broncos, right guard for the Redskins, had a 12-year career. Um, and just he has a fascinating story and he shared a tremendous amount of insight that I think is really valuable so hopefully you guys enjoy these two interviews Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe everyone knows that men look better when their suits fit well Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. You can start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. All right, everybody, I'm here with Bucks center Ryan Jensen. Tampa's coming off a really nice win on the road in L.A. against the Rams. And after watching the, the game tape, I mean, I, I was really impressed by this interior. And really, I have been all season. I, I think that they've looked really good. Um, and I think it's flying under the radar, this interior. Um, I mean, they don't have one Division One starter in the interior, so I think that's really cool. I don't even... I don't know if that's ever really happened before, but, but, um, but anyway, Ryan, thanks for joining me for this. And, um, you know, that, that was a great win last week in LA. Can you just talk a little bit about 
what you guys did up front and how you were able to neutralize Donald and just really get some things going in the running game as well? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, obviously going against the Rams, uh, you know, the key to victory and, you know, it was the key all week for us is uh, containing employee 99 and, and taking, you know, him out of the game as much as possible. And, uh, you know, we did that a variety of ways with some different types of double, ste- uh, double teams and, and tweaking some schemes and, uh, you know, ended up uh, working really well for us. And, uh, you know, even when guys had them one-on-one, you know, they did a, a heck of a job uh, keeping them away from the quarterback and, and keeping them out of place. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was impressive. Um, you don't really see that. I mean, Donald's coming off a game. I mean, every game, I mean, he's pretty much a terror. But last week against Cleveland, he he was, you know, he wrecked the game in a lot of ways. So, yeah, for you guys to play as well as you did, that was really, really impressive. Um, and just leading up, you know, to that game going into the week, is that something that you as a group with Coach Goodwin and and offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, is that something that you just got that you guys collectively game plan for or was there more of a was it kind of more of like you guys and Goodwin or how did that work for you guys Yeah definitely I think it was uh, for sure a, a full offensive uh decision and and uh, the way to attack the game you know especially with with Goody and and Byron and uh you know BA for that matter you know for a lot of years they played him twice a year so they had a you know have a good feel on on how to uh you know limit his production and uh you know going into this week i think that was a, a huge advantage for us as a offense line and as an offense to uh you know go back and, and watch old film of uh you know with when they were with the cardinals what they did to try to uh uh you know uh, limit him on his production and it uh it helped him quite a bit yeah absolutely that's a good point uh, with arians having that background in the nfc west um and now this week you guys go on the road again uh, a little closer to home but still this is uh i think quite a bit of a more of a difficult environment i guess you know in the saints uh they're coming off a a big win against dallas and that defensive line looked really good against the cowboys offensive line um granted you know the the offensive line struggled a little bit too but still that was it was an impressive game and they they have Sheldon Rankins back now and they they have a really deep D line I think so um can you guys or can you just talk a little bit about what you've seen so far from them and and just you know I, I know you don't want to give anything away but just kind of what your impressions are on them yeah you know uh started watching a little bit uh yesterday you know as a as a group after we finished uh, the Rams game and you know they're a they're a hard hard playing defensive front. You know they uh they bring that energy and you know a play's never over for them. And you know I think that's uh it's it's fun to go against defenses like that because you can really uh really shows who you are as an offensive line when when you have a D line with you know you know Cam's a, a disruption. You know Sheldon's a really good player. You know and, and across the board they have great depth and uh you know it, it's a it's always a great test. You know coming off of a, a you know the week the week we had playing the Rams playing another really good uh defensive front and going into a uh a game where you know we have to turn it up again against a, a really solid front it's um you know it's just one of those uh, weeks you just got to go in and, and you know the play's never play's never over and you got to finish through uh you know the echo of the whistle it's, it's one of those type of games yeah absolutely they definitely they definitely get after it up front but I'm sure you you guys will be ready to go and it's going to be another tough test but you know you get back in the division the next couple weeks and uh just want to say thanks for coming on best of luck and it's fun watching you guys so you know i'm I'm excited to see this game appreciate it thanks brandon yeah thank you
When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers because you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Blue Wire podcast listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk, and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. All right, everybody, I'm here with Mark Schlereth, the three-time Super Bowl champ, he played for the Broncos and the Redskins in his career. He had a 12-year career, six years for each team. He has 140 starts uh, under his belt as a pro, multiple-time pro bowler. Uh, he played guard in the NFL left and right, and uh, it's just an honor to have him on the show right now, growing up a huge Bronco fan. Um, so, yeah, this is really cool for me. But, Mark, uh, thank you for taking the time to do this, and welcome to the show. Yeah, my my pleasure. It's great to be on the show. Love your stuff. Love your stuff on uh, on Twitter and where you put it, uh, where you break it all down. And you know, it's not very often that uh, that guys have an affinity for uh, offensive line play. So I always appreciate it when uh, somebody who knows what they're talking about actually puts it out there and uh, and lets everybody see the kind of the intricacies and, and the work that it takes to be good at that position. Yeah, thank you. It's it's really cool to be able to do that on on and, and you know having a platform like Twitter to be able to do it on. So it's 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 been awesome to get some good feedback on that. But the the reason why I wanted to have you on was just to talk about your career because you know I'm I'm not sure people really appreciate uh, everything that you know you did you went through and I think it's fascinating to to look back on it and just try to get you know to to learn a little bit more about it and I. You know, I, I I look back to you coming into the NFL in 1989 with the Washington Redskins, and I believe that was just towards the end of, you know, the Hogs, you know, the the, the, mm-hmm. the offensive line that they had there that was, uh, you know, renowned league-wide. Um, you know, coming into the draft, you you know, back then they had more rounds. Uh, you know, I, you got drafted in the 10th round, so that doesn't even exist anymore, but um you coming in at that point what, what was it like uh you know getting drafted to that team and being in that environment early on as a pro and I'm sure you learned a lot but can you talk a little bit about just what that environment was like yeah no question it was uh, it was unbelievable you know for me uh, that's all I ever wanted to be was a professional football player and an offensive lineman and you know it was it was interesting because um, I literally showed up to other people's workouts because I had no agent. I had nothing. And I had played defense. I came in as an offensive lineman at the University of Idaho and switched over to defense because I could run and jump and I was just gifted uh, a gifted athlete. And um, long story short, like I had nothing going into my senior year. I was actually retired from football as a junior and because um, of injury issues and injury risks. The university didn't want me to play anymore. And literally signed papers as a um, 
you know, to, to waive their liability towards me, the injury risk, so I can come back and play my last year and switch back over to the offensive side of the football. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it was a journey. Um, but I had a teammate named Marvin Washington who was a highly touted defensive end. And I used to just show up to his workouts. He'd call me and invite me to his workouts. And, and I would just beg scouts to let me work out for them. And I ran so well, so well and jumped so high, which ultimately has very little to do with whether you're a good football player or not. But for me, um, that was yeah, that was the eye-opening experience. As a matter of fact, the Redskins, who originally drafted me, when they sent their scout out, a guy by the name of Billy Devaney, who actually became a general manager with the uh, St. Louis Rams, Billy wanted to draft me as a tight end. Um, so that's what he originally wanted to draft me as. And then they sent the old line coach to come work me out. And the old line coach said, no, 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 man, I want him to play offensive line. But coming to the Redskins was such an unbelievable experience because, you know, the majority of the Hawks were still there. Jacoby was still there. Russ Grimm was still there. Uh, Jeff Bostic was still there. Mark May was still there. So, you know, I got to play with all those guys for three or four years and really learn the game from, from some of the best who have ever done it. And, uh, my first coach with the Redskins was a guy by the name of Joe Bugle. So, you know, I look, I look at my own career from a coaching standpoint. I got coached by a guy by the name of Dan Cazzato at the University of Idaho, who's one of the great O-line coaches, one of the great coaches in football. And then I, got, I went from that to being coached by Joe Bugle, who is literally a Hall of Fame offensive line coach, then Jim Hannafin, who is also, you know, a Hall of Fame type of coach, and then Alice Gibbs, the godfather of the zone running game. So, you know, I was coached by some of the the best coaches in all of football. And, you know, I love the fact that that position and, and coaches, you know, the, how they mold players, but how collective and how, um, and how it was not only, you know, you getting coached, but also there was an exchange of information and there was enough respect there to say, man, I, I see what you're trying to accomplish. But that particular technique, I think, is garbage or it doesn't work for me or whatever the case may be. And those open lines of communications from the coaches that I had um, made it special. I mean, when I worked in Denver and when I played for the Broncos, Alice Gibbs would come down. I'd be in the training room, first guy in the in the meeting rooms at, or in the training room at 5 a.m., the first guy in the building. And he'd come down and say, hey, man. Um, I want to install, we're going to install this trap player. We're going to install this counter player, something that I don't, you know, I'm not familiar with. I'm more of a zone guy. Like, how would you block it? What would be the footwork of the left tackle, the left guard, the center, you know, what, how, and we just sit there and have a tutorial and then go, okay, good, done. And, you know, he put it in that way. And so there was a great connection there. And there was a great kind of pride of, um, of just, you know, understanding and accepting and, and, you know, exchanging that information. So always had great coaches um, everywhere that I went, which was, you know, such a blessing. It's such an unbelievable opportunity. And um, just, a, just you know, for me, it was, um, it's one of the reasons I have so much passion, so much love for this game. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really unique story. And the coaching you've been exposed to is, that's absolutely incredible. Um, so, you know, going from Washington to Denver, from, from my understanding is Washington, you know, there under Joe Gibbs and everything ran a lot of counter tray and, and things like that. And then in Denver, you know, Alex Gibbs obviously is, you know, outsider wide zone, you know, blocking maven type of guy. So that transition for you, I mean, was the scheme really that much different going from Washington to Denver? And if so, how did you adjust as well as you did to it? 
Right. I, you know, everybody runs. It's just what you major in. You know, everybody runs yes. zone, right? So there's not one team in the league that doesn't run zone. Do you major in it um, or do you minor in it, right? And so, you know, we majored in counter trade, but we ran a ton of, you know, our tight zone in Washington was 40-50 gut. Um, in Denver, it was 14-15. Um, and then, you know, our wide zone was 60-70 outside. And in Washington and in, in Denver, it was 18-19 uh, handoff. So they're the exact same things. And when you transition from one offense to the next, you know, um, you always have to you get into a different system or a different, you know, coding or a different wording system. You always have to, in your mind, go, okay, this uh, – you know, the 18, 19 handoff is the same as 60, 70 gut in your mind. And, and protection wise, the same thing. Two and three jet was, you know, Charlie 40, 50, you know, that, you know, so you always have to kind of like, okay, this is what it was here. This is how it, you know, works over here. And so um, those are just, yeah. those are just the nuances of, of the, the verbiage of offense. But um, it really wasn't for me, it really wasn't much of a transition. It was just like, this is what we're going to run the majority of the time. And then it's just the nuance. And I think that's one of the things, Brandon, that's really been lost in football is the nuance of how to get things done. You know, we, as a players association, um, you know, in my estimation, we're not that bright. And so, um, you know, we get locked out and then we agree to things that just to me are, are stupid. I mean, this is, and I, and I always say this, we're the least skilled athletes on a football field. And we have, you know, we have one of the hardest jobs in football when it comes to, you know, the skill and the nuance of actually moving a man from point A to point B against his will. That's the hardest job in football. And so it takes yeah. an incredible amount of skill. And what we've done is, as a players association, like, hey, we don't want to work in the offseason because we don't want the coaches monitoring us. So, you know, we're going to lock ourselves out of $50 million facilities where we have, you know, access to chiropractors, massage therapists, cryovac machines, but we'll pay for it instead. Like, that makes no sense to me. Like, some of the things that we agree to as players um, absolutely make zero sense. But I think one of the things that's really hurt this league in general, and one of the reasons the rules have had to change, is because, like, we've negotiated contact out of a contact sport and we've negotiated one of the toughest skills to acquire, and that's playing offensive line, we've negotiated practice time out of that. And I don't care what you do. You can't walk through and think that that's even going to come close to simulating what it actually takes to create that leverage, to create that strike. Like creating leverage is, is something you have to work on. And it's not just, hey, you know, you hear coaches say it all the time, hey, you got to stay lower on that. And you're like, hey, no shit, Sherlock. I understand. You know, I'm getting <laughs> impaled. I get that. Like, how do you create leverage? Well, leverage starts with footwork, and it goes from your feet, through your knees, through your hips, through your hands. And it's about not striking out, but striking out, but more up than out. And that's how you create leverage, because if I'm 6'3", and the defensive lineman that I'm blocking across from me is 6'5", I'm not going to come seven inches lower than him. Our helmets are going to hit. I mean, I'm not going to be – there's no way I can create a lower leverage point. So the leverage has to come through the technique that you create as you come off the ball. And it's a nuance that's being lost in the league because, frankly, we just don't work on it. Yeah, yeah, that's a hot topic in the offensive line world for sure is the CBA and the effects on the position. And we've seen it. I think defensive line right now is far outweighing offensive line in terms of just 
sheer talent and and just effectiveness and you know part of that is because what you said I think defensive line is more reliant on you know raw physical tools whereas offensive line is more of a technical position and I think we've seen the other side of the ball kind of the scales have been tipped I think on the to the defensive line side at least for the last several seasons that I've that I've really been watching and I think the reasons for that are you know various I mean some of the ones that you mentioned and you know, it's um, it's interesting because I uh, I've been fortunate to be a part of this event the last two summers uh, down in uh, Dallas, Texas, called Offensive Line Masterminds, and it's where basically uh, 30, 40 NFL offensive linemen get together and we try to share wisdom. Um, you know, I, I go there as sort of the guy who puts together all the film and does advanced scouting reports on guys. And um, you know, this past year we had uh, several all pros, pro bowlers, and just a lot of starters there. And it was awesome because kind of what you mentioned before of offensive linemen, you know, when you get them all in a room, it's, it's amazing what happens. There's a lot of, uh, camaraderie there and uh, a lot of knowledge being shared. And it's, you know, so I think things like that can sort of bridge the gap. But like you said, I mean, if you're not, you know, if you don't have the pads on and you're not actually working on it, you know, full contact, then there's only so much you can do, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough position, I think, right now for for just offensive linemen to be in in general. And, um, you know, it's I think you bring up all the all the good points there uh, as far as that goes. And to, just to circle back on something, though, that I, I wanted to see if maybe this transition for you was a little more difficult. I noticed uh, that you you played primarily right guard in Washington and then you played left in Denver. Was that switch for you a little more difficult than the scheme one or did you handle that pretty seamlessly as well? No, that was really hard for me. Um, and you know, there's, there was several, just several things that were really, were really difficult first. You know, I always tell people like, I always tell people it's like, Hey, you've got to write an essay and you've got two hours to write it and you're right-handed. And the teacher says, yeah, but here's the, here's the trick. I've got to have this perfect penmanship and, and I've got to have this great essay and everybody has to write it left-handed and right. go, you know? And, and so it really becomes a difficult transition. Um, people just think you can flip-flop guys. This is why backup offensive swing players are so valuable. There's a lot of swing players that could probably be starters elsewhere that teams pay good money just to have that guy as a backup swing player that can play both right and left tackle or both right and left guard um, because it's a really tough thing to do. Um, you've got to kind of completely transpose the schematics of stance and everything else. And that is, I mean, it's a lot more difficult than people give it credit for. I always say, hey, like, you're a right-handed batter, and it's the bottom of the ninth, and, and you're playing in the World Series, and all of a sudden the coach says or the manager says before you go out to take your at-bat, you say, hey, man, this time I want you to switch it to the left side. Go. You know, and, yeah. and you're not a switch hitter, right? It's just a really hard thing to do. And so for me, it took me a full year of playing every game, starting all 16 to feel like I had gotten into a comfort level and I could never play left guard out of a left-handed stance. Um, you know, first oh, off, wow. my left knee is so bad and it was even bad in my in the last six years of my career. It was so bad that it, I never felt like I could get into a stance where I could use it properly. And, um, and so I, I played, I played left guard out of a right-handed stance. But the funny thing is in those days, the best left guards in football, like some of the best left guards in football, all played in a right-handed stance. So Bruce really? Matthews wow. played in a right-handed stance. Um, wow. Steve Wisniewski played in a, in a right-handed stance. 
Like I played in the right handed stance. There was a bunch of left guards that played in the right handed stance. And so it that's was just a, like, amazing. like, yeah. So when I, when I went over, I was, I was trying to mess with it. And then I'm, I always used to, as, as part of my film study, anytime that I had to play a guy that was, you know, a really good defensive lineman, um, somebody that was really, you know, one of the elite guys, I always went back to the film room and said, Hey, when was the last time Matthews played this guy? When was the last time Wisniewski played this guy? When was the last time that um, Will Shields played this guy? And give me that film. I want to study how they set that guy. I want to study the, their approach, um, you know, the aggressiveness. How do they set to take away the primary move? Because um, that's how I always look at guys. I always like on third down and 12, um, you know, and the game is on the line, what's this guy's go-to? because that's what he's going to throw. And then I'm going to consistently set to take that away. And then I feel like I can, I can survive the counters. I can survive the rest, but if I can take away that go-to move, then I'm going to survive, you know, I'm going to, and I'll probably play pretty well. And so that was always kind of one of the things I did from a film study standpoint, but it it certainly took me a full year before um, I felt comfortable in that stance and just said, screw it. I'm going to play right-handed, which I, which I did for, you know, six years of starting in Denver at the left guard position. Yeah, yeah, that's really good stuff there, really good insight. Um, and I've talked to several offensive linemen about it because I think it is one of those things that is so overlooked and underrated. And, I mean, I've heard a lot of good analogies on it. Josh Sitton recently said that uh, it's like wiping with the opposite hand. You know, there's there's a lot of good ones out there, but either way, it's, you know, it's extremely difficult. And I think it's one of the many things about the position that gets overlooked, but um, moving on to, to more of your time in Denver, I just wanted to ask you just about uh, a couple things. I mean, 98 was the year that you went to the pro bowl. That was, you know, the best year in franchise history, you know, by pretty much all accounts. Um, and, you know, that's really when I started watching football very closely. And I still remember you, Tom Nalen, Dan Neal, and just, you know, I wish I had that coach's tape of, of that time. I'd pay good money for that. But, um, you know, could you talk about what it was like on that offensive line and just maybe uh, share something about Alex Gibbs as well and just sort of his impact in that season for you guys? Yeah, well, I mean, we were – we were so tied together, you know, and obviously we had been together for a long time. Um, and so there was, you know, there was um, a group of guys that had been together for a long time that really, you know, knew what they were doing, so to speak. So for us, you know, that was, that was, you know, it was, it was great because we all spoke the same language and we were all incredibly connected. Um, so we were a very tight knit group. I think this is one of the other nuances, by the way, it just leads me to this. One of the other nuances that has left the game. Like now everything is downloaded on an iPad and, you know, I get the Exos Thundercloud. So I watch all the film, the coaches film, I see it all, but all these guys take the film home and they study at home. And so when I was playing with the Broncos, I went to Mike Shanahan and I said, Hey Mike, I go, can you do me a favor? Can you cater breakfast every morning? And Mike was like, like, dude, like, seriously, like we give you guys lunch. We, you know, there's all these things. Right. And the Broncos were great. And he goes, like, why do you need breakfast now? And I go, because, listen, I'm here in here every morning at 5 a.m. And I get all my, you know, all my rehab work done. And then I'm in the film room every morning by seven. And our meeting is until nine. 
And guys come running in here with an egg McMuffin from McDonald's, right? It's five minutes to nine, throw their sweats on and sit down in the meeting room. And I go, but if I have breakfast, if I have eggs and bacon and, you know, grits and oatmeal and all that stuff, I can get some guys in here, the young guys in here to eat. They're here at 730. They're having a nice meal, a nice catered meal. And then they can study football with me and with Tommy Nalen and with Danny Neal and with Tony Jones. And, and I said, you know, two eyes or four eyes are better than two and eight eyes are better than four and 16 eyes are better than, you know, eight. And so if we can study it together, you know, you may see something that I don't see. You may see a tip in a guy's stance, whatever the case may be, but we're going to be a better football team because of those things. And so we would be, we'd have a room fill. We'd have 10, 11, 12 guys sit in a room, all eating breakfast, all watching and studying together. What do you see on this? How would you set this guy? You know, how would you, how, what's your takeoff here? What are you thinking about? And you know, we're talking football together as a group on a consistent basis. And we're learning the game. We're studying the game together. And that's another thing. Guys take their little iPads home. And, you know, there's a difference between watching it and studying it, between, you know, looking at it and breaking it down. And so we had that connectivity as a group where we didn't want to let each other down. And it became one of those things like, man, I ain't missing. I, ain't, I don't walk in here, be the last guy to walk in here because you feel like, man, I'm letting the group down. So we had this incredible connectivity as a, as a group of offensive linemen because, you know, frankly, we just didn't want to let each other down. And that's a, you know, when you have that's that, man, it, that is powerful. And, you know, it's something that, teams don't do anymore they you know everybody hey takes their little ipad home and um man i i just i believe in being together being accountable to one another and studying it together and i i just think that that's another piece of the nuance that's been um that's been lost here in the last uh, five six seven years yeah that's that's something that uh we've talked about at that event that i went to this summer I, i know jeff schwartz in the media he a guy who's been retired for a couple of years now, but he he brings that up pretty pretty frequently, and he talks about that, you know, to all the young guys, and he just says that, you know, exactly, but basically piggybacking on exactly what you just said, and I, I mean that just makes a lot of sense, you know. I mean the camaraderie that's developed by spending time together, breaking down film. I mean to be able to communicate, I think in that pre-snap phase, you know, when bullets are flying, and you know, uh, and to be able to communicate non-verbally and you know, things like that. I mean, I, you know, I just think that that's probably something uh, pretty obviously that would, you know, hold a lot of value as the season and, you know, games get tighter and things like that for offensive line. So it's it's kind of odd that it doesn't happen more, but I, I think, you know, you saying this and uh, yeah. people saying it, you know, it helps. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I walk up the line of scrimmage, I'm in a stance, and all of a sudden, you know, you'd see the weak side linebacker, the will kind of, creep out you know and and like we're in a slot formation and the woodside linebacker just creep out ever so slightly you see him start to inch out there because at that point when i see that as a player i'm saying okay that dude's trying to get underneath the slant right he's trying to get into coverage and now all of a sudden i can just look at my side look you know kind of give a, a whistle or whatever like, you know look 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 and and all of a sudden we take a if we're a double t or if we had a a cutoff block, like a, a scoop block on the backside, you know, and we're running the, to the opposite side, a wide handoff. We would cha- we would exchange that will for the safety and say, screw him. He's in coverage, right? 
this guy becomes the most dangerous man. And you start to see stuff like that, and you can communicate that, like you said, non-verbally with a whistle or just a finger point or say, hey, dude, just keep your eyes open. Here it comes. And it's something that you studied on film together, that you saw on film together, and now, hey, we're completely connected. And you're like, oh, yeah, I see it. I see it. Good. And you roll, and you pick it up. And I tell you what, there's nothing better than picking something like that up and just, you know, hitting a safety with a mouthful of Rydell. And he's just looking around like, how the hell do they know that was coming? And, and, you know, and then they're talking like, Hey, what happened here? You know, and you just ripped off a 16 yard run and they're yelling at each other. And you're like, yeah, we got you guys. We got you. And, right. and then they start questioning the calls and questioning what they're doing. I mean, I tell you, when you get it in that, when, when that's the way things are working for you, and they did consistently for us in Denver here for, you know, three or four years. Um, I, there's no bigger feeling in the world because they're all questioning. They're questioning their coaches. They're questioning their system. They're questioning everything because you're picking things up just like, like I mean, it's like football for dummies. You're reading it. And, and, and a lot of it's because you sat there, you studied together, you prepared together, and, and you know, you're ready to roll. Right. Yeah, that's that's really good stuff. And recently just saw a coaching clinic from Dante Skarnecki. I posted a little clip on my Twitter and he's talks about the offensive line playing code that he has for his guys. And he says, one of the key things is seeing through the same set of eyes and getting five to play as one. And I think this all kind of lends itself to that same point. Um, and I think that's just so important for the position, but um, Mark, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time. I don't want to take any more of it from you. I know you're busy, but I uh, really appreciate you coming on and just talking football and uh, maybe we could do it again sometime. Anytime, man. It's my, it's my pleasure. I, I appreciate it. I apologize. I've got, I've got 8 million things going on. I'm, I'm heading to London tomorrow to call a game. Uh, I've got Raiders and Chicago. And so uh, getting on the road, that'll be a fun one. <laughs> I get one day, hey, like one day, and I got to get the honeydew list and all my stuff, my packing and everything else, and the house in order. And then it's like, okay, now I got to go. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk to you and and uh, and get my honeydew list uh, done all at the same time. But it's a pleasure anytime. Like I said, always love what you put on um, on your Twitter feed and everything else, man. Keep it up because it's uh, it's great stuff, and I appreciate it. All right, Mark, we'll do. Thanks again, and have a great trip. Thank you, my friend. Take care.